part two about emotional healing with our special guest, Pastor Alan Wright, next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We have a special guest uh, today. This is part two of our interview with Pastor Alan Wright. He's come all the way from uh, North Carolina to share some of what he has uh, been studying and what he also teaches and preaches with us. Um, it's uh, He hosts a radio show on AM820 Radio from 11.30 a.m. until noon on weekdays, and his ministry is called Sharing the Light. Of course, you can hear that locally, and so I would like to welcome Welcome back and thank Pastor Alan Wright for joining us again for part two of our interview. It's such a privilege to be with you as always, Doris. And it's so great to have you here and listen to your, your refreshing view on all of these things. Uh, you're from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Renolda Church. Been there 21 years. 21 wonderful years. I'm sure your your congregation loves you. Tell us about the website that you your ministry has. Well, sharingthelight.org, where we have all kinds of resources. And there you can, if you miss the radio broadcast or there's not a station in your area, you can download the radio broadcast. You can get all kinds of free resources, our daily devotional, mm -hmm. and uh, many, many other spiritual resources at sharingthelight.org. And it's very, very good. I would recommend that you do that because it has some wonderful stuff. And part of what we're talking about today is from a book called Free Yourself, Be Yourself that Alan Wright has written, uh, formerly entitled... Um, Shame Off You. <laughs> Just been like, I'm so sorry. Shame off you, because that's my favorite title. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, um, the book that he's written here talks about the shame that people are sometimes raised with, and the principles that that you have incorporated into your teachings because you experienced a lot yourself. Last time, uh, we talked about Adam and Eve. Yeah. and how their marriage was instituted by God and that it was actually the standard, monogamy being the standard between one man and one woman that God had instituted for all mankind. I'd like to continue discussing Adam and Eve only on a different level, which it may surprise you. Maybe you do know this, maybe you don't. But according to what this culture believes about what happened in the Garden of Eden, this culture teaches that Eve did a good thing when she when she obeyed the serpent instead of God, that her disobedience was necessary, that God had decreed her to disobey, and Adam, that it was a fall upwards, not down, and that it had to happen in order for humans to gain immortality and eternal progression and eventually become gods. Okay, that's what this culture believes. Please explain how that cannot be true, but instead is what created the shame and guilt that we've been talking about and what Adam and Eve did to hide their shame, their attempt to hide the, their shame. The, the one thing that we know about Adam and Eve's relationship, amongst all the things that God could have chosen in His Word to reveal to us about what their marriage was like in paradise, there's only one thing. Mm -hmm. He said they were naked and they had no shame. Right. So the one thing we know about a relationship in paradise, 
is there's no shame. Mm. There's no wondering whether you're going to be rejected. There's no wondering whether there's going to be a wandering eye. There's no wondering whether you're going to feel like you didn't measure up. But there's going to be 100% acceptance, which means love is pure mm. and perfect mm. in that marriage covenant. That's what a relationship, that's what marriage is supposed to look like. And that's what they had in paradise. Had. As soon as they fell into sin, as soon as they disobeyed God and hearkened into the voice of the serpent, so they listened to the devil's deception mm -hmm. and disobeyed. Well, the very first thing that happened, the very first thing that happened was they became intensely anxious and began to hide themselves from each other, cover themselves up, and then begin to hide from God, mm. attempt to and hide they did, from God. Yes, they did that. They did that. So what does that tell us? It tells us that not only can we say for sure that in God's plan in paradise, which He made everything perfectly and wonderfully, there is love, it is a perfect love, there is perfect obedience unto God, mm. there is only truth, not deception, mm -hmm. right? Because what the serpent did was a deception, it was a deception, made a false promise that once believed led to this awful, awful shame that immediately came in. So it can't be right. So it, it can't, can't be right. It can't fall upwards. It can't be a fall upwards when everything that's negative about the anxieties and shame that we experience in life resulted from it. How could it possibly be yeah. a good thing? Yeah. Instead, it was like... Um, well, like a poison that came in, shame was, mm -hmm, definitely and people hiding from each other and hiding from God. And the amazing thing about God is that what He's done for us in Christ is a work of restoration that we could have never done. So while Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, God didn't give up on mm -hmm. humanity, no. but he made a plan. He, he had a plan for that, exactly. Uh, I think it's interesting that they covered themselves with fig leaves, their own works of their hands, you yep. know, to cover their sin. And when Jesus was here, the only thing he cursed was the fig tree. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. And, and I, I'm sure there's some deeper study you can go into that to get some uh, interesting points out of it. Amen. But uh, the person who is in or has escaped polygamy often have, has great difficulty understanding their own personal value. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's easy for us to say as Christians, our value is in Christ. And, and, and that is true. I don't want to ever undermine that because it's definitely true. But someone new to the faith or someone who isn't even a, a Christian may not understand what the term our value in Christ means. Would you please explain to the unbeliever and the seeker who may be watching yeah. this show what our value in Christ truly is and how that can be our super healer of the past shame Absolutely. and emotional abuse. Absolutely. Well, it starts with this. Even before you know Christ, even before you accept Christ, you have to understand this about your life. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. The Bible speaks of humanity as the crowning part of all of God's creative enterprise, that He made us in His own image. And that's every human being. Mm -hmm. And God has love for every single human being. Mm -hmm. And, and this, is, this, is, this is part of what it, the beginning place of, I think, coming to even accept Christ, is to know that God has loved you 
before you ever loved Him. Right. And when you accept Christ, an amazing miracle takes place. That which the Bible says was figuratively and in a sense literally spiritually dead unto God, mm -hmm. shut off from God, is made alive. Mm -hmm. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. Right. You become right. alive unto God and so it's like you're born again. Well, what happens is you're brought into a relationship with God not by your own merit. You're brought in by the merits of Christ. Mm -hmm. He lived a sinless life. He died the death that should have been ours. He took the punishment that we were due. And in so accepting Christ's saving work, we are radically 100% forever accepted and we're God's. Mm. Now what this means... You mean we belong to God. We belong we're to God. God's. We're not God's yeah. God. We, we, yeah, we belong. <laughs> Make clear of that. In this we culture, belong we need to God. To. <laughs> we do. We belong to God. We are God's own people. Right. And so what this means, it's momentous for the Christian. Because what it means is at every turn, whether you're doing well, whether you're messing up, whether you have accomplished a lot, or whether you feel like you're failing at everything, None of that shapes your identity anymore. You have a new identity. Mm -hmm. Your identity mm -hmm. is in Christ. Right. Your identity is that you're a child of God and you're an heir. In fact, the scripture says a co-heir with Christ himself. You are engrafted with Christ and your identity, therefore, is now not about what you have done, but about what God has done for you. And you can rest in that and you can be secure in that. And it revolutionized my life once I really understood this. If anybody who's seeking and just seeking to understand uh, the Christian gospel, everything that makes the gospel wonderful is rooted in this. In that. You don't earn your way into God's pleasure no. and favor. Christ did it. And so, and, and you said it's not anything that we've done uh, that, that merits that, but it's also hasn't got anything to, to what we haven't done. To what we haven't you know, done either. Where, where the word unworthy comes from, you know, you exactly. haven't done this, so you can't be. You can't do this. But that's not. It, so uh, it, it changes. So you, it, it's, it's literally you move into an entire new way of thinking. Uh -huh. Instead of saying, well, have I done this, this, and this? Right. Or have I made up for the fact that I, I didn't do this well and do this? And that is no longer the way you think. Yeah. You're, you're completely, in that sense, your performance is taken out of the picture. And so now you're free to live your life in relationship with God, in relationship with others. That's not one that's under the pressure of wondering whether you're worthy or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's Changes what's so everything. freeing. You talk about freedom. That's true. Um, now, the big biblical gospel, which we have been talking about, is really about only one thing. And, and again, this is something I picked out from one of your messages last week, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. One thing. Yes. It includes nothing more than that. Yes. It includes nothing less than that. Yet religions who are hyper zealous for their own private beliefs will add legalisms and rituals and other stuff to the message. Explain how adding legalism or anything else to the simplicity of Jesus only creates difficult and frustrating lives and cannot lead them to their heavenly goal. It's like this. If I were to tell my wife 99 days in a row, I love you. We're in a covenant. I'm never going to leave you. And then on the hundredth day, I say, well, you don't maybe measure up. If you don't get a little bit better, I might leave you. <laughs> well, well, in the first place, <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and I would have no need to do it because of my wife's so wonderful. But 
if I were mm-hmm. in that, in that silly if, hypothetical okay. situation. I, I think any married person could tell you, if it was only 1% of the time that you said that, you know, you just ruined the other 99%. That's so true. 99 days of saying I love you, and I just love you so much, I'm not going to leave you. And one day that says, I don't know, you're not measuring up, I might leave you. I just polluted every other bit. I mean, in other words, 1% of legalism poisons the whole rest of it. This is why Paul was so furious when he was writing to the Galatians and saying, you've got to get rid of every bit of this legalism. Because you might say, well, you might say, well, all the Galatians, what's the big deal? They were just saying, what they were saying is, you know, in order to be a Christian and really be spiritual, you need to accept Jesus, you need to follow Him, but also it would be good to keep the Jewish ritual of circumcision Mm -hmm. because the real spiritual people also want to keep that too. No, that's the 1%. And Paul's saying, that's the pollution. That's the pollution. It's like, I often think of it this way, Doris. If you took a glass of water and you drop one drop of red food coloring into it, the whole thing becomes pink. Mm -hmm. You can't have just a little bit of law mixed into the gospel of grace. Right. And so, what this culture and what so many um, uh, non Christian religious systems do is they try to have the appearance of, oh no, there's love, there's love, there's love, Mm -hmm. and yet just inject it with Mm -hmm. conditional love, legalistic systems, Mm -hmm. and you've You've spoiled the whole thing. A little that, leaven spoils the whole lump. The whole lump. And then that one little drop that you mentioned, it makes it not grace anymore. It it's isn't gra- grace. They no, can, it's not. They can claim it's grace, but it's not anymore if they've well, injected me, that little drop. Well, let me put it even more stark. If you dropped one drop of very powerful poison into an otherwise clear glass of water and you drink it, the whole glass is poison. That's right. Exactly right. And that's dangerous when it comes to the gospel. We cannot add or take from it. It cannot. It's pure and simple. It must be pure Jesus or Christ it's not the gospel. And what he's done for us. The next one is a sensitive topic, and I need to tread carefully, but I think it needs to be said. Playboy's magazine founder, Hugh Hefner, just died recently, a week or so ago. And yet some people have called him a hero. Yet his business was to objectify and exploit women for his benefit and pleasure. At the same time, using a different method, polygamy groups also objectify and exploit women. Women are treated as objects or commodity of having less value than the male. Women's value is for the man's use and pleasure to benefit him in various ways. Can we land on this for just a moment for you to express your thoughts on how can we know God's view of women? And did God create women to be doormats, second-class subservience to the male, poster pinups, baby factories, or goddesses in embryo? Oh. It's appalling to me to think that anybody could celebrate anything that Hugh Hefner had done. Uh, he uh, went on a uh, deliberate mission that in the end, objectified women's, uh, who they are is, is the beautiful image of God created um, equally with men to be used of God in wonderful purposes in the world. And um, the thought that anybody has celebrated that, I think, Doris, yeah. is, I just must say, I just think it's appalling. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, in the first century Rome, Sexual 
um, perversion and promiscuity was rampant. Mm -hmm. It was a culture in which pornography was etched into the walls of their living rooms. There were, um, there were uh, uh, pagan and idolatrous and pornographic images throughout cities. Uh, brothels, homosexuality, all, it, was a, it, was, it was that kind of culture. When the gospel came and Paul is making explicit statements about here is what marriage looks like. Yes. It's between one man, it's between one man and one woman and covenantal faithfulness and fidelity and that there shall be no sexual immorality and nothing right. outside of this. Right. Was this was so radical. And I, I just cannot overstate this for the culture of that day, for a message to come that valued women that much. Mm -hmm was as radical as anything that you can even think of in the gospel. As one scholar I recently read said, the idea of not exploiting women was as radical a concept in the first century as the notion of turn the other cheek. Because this was not something that was seen. People were just used, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And the wealthier and the affluent, the people of influence would use the women, they mm -hmm. would use... And it was legal. And it was legal. Uh, you know, they, it they was. Just, and so the gospel presents this beautiful but simple, glorious plan of God. And it was a huge protection for women. Oh, it was huge protection for women. And so I just would want to say to every woman, you know, God, uh, God made you in His own image. You're not made to be used by somebody else. You do not exist for someone else's pleasure. You do not exist to gratify someone else. You do not exist to make someone else feel worthy. You do not exist to give somebody else what they need. God has made women and men equally in His eyes, and we mustn't, we mustn't ever, ever have an environment that demeans that. And quite honestly, yeah. Hugh Hefner and yeah. everything he represented, um, led us down that path, yeah, it and it was appalling. And, and, and as I thought of that, especially when I saw some remarks where he was actually, you know, called a hero, um, and I thought of, well, you know, you compare this with the polygamy groups, and they do the same, they just do it differently. It's a different it's method, different, but it's just, the same, it's the same, exactly the same the, the treatment same message. of women. You, 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 you exist to function in some way that is for my purposes. Right. That's the message. The male is a controller and the, the male is a controller and the female is a servient and you exist for this reason. And the only way you can keep somebody into that mentality is through the environment of shame mm -hmm. that says shame and, and you must do this or else you're not going to be considered worthy. You're not going to mm -hmm. be considered acceptable. And the gospel breaks through every bit of that. It does. Jesus took care of all that. Recently in your daily devotions, you compare some people's relationships with God with that old TV show, Let's Make a Deal. Yeah. Uh, this culture, both Mormonism and polygamy groups, are big on making covenants with God, let's make a deal kind of thing. The, the LDS even have a special secret temple ceremony where they make covenants with God and then, and then they have their regular sacrament meetings that will basically renew the covenants and, and try to do better you know, each time. Would you explain what the only valid covenant is with God is, what it is, and how being in Christ fulfills all or any assumed covenant requirements or obligations? Yes. You've asked the question, Doris, that leads into the 
the glorious riches of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. I would like to just start by saying you referenced this message about let's not make a deal. <laughs> Could I just take a moment and then lead into the new covenant just to say that I was referencing the ill-advised hasty, hasty and ungodly covenant that Jephthah made about his daughter that he mm -hmm. had know was going to come to pass. Mm -hmm. And his uh, desperation to win a military victory, he says to God, if you'll give me victory upon returning, I will sacrifice whatever first comes to me, thinking that it's the first living thing, maybe a sheep uh, or mm -hmm. something comes out and he's going to offer the sacrifice. He comes back from the victory that God never asked him for a, a, right. a vow, exactly. he never asked for this covenant with him. And to his great horror, his daughter comes dancing out to meet him. Child sacrifice was an abomination in Israel. Right. There's no chance in the world that God would want this man to sacrifice his own daughter. Mm -hmm. And he does. It is a picture of just how diabolical it is to enter into any kind of ungodly vow that God's never asked you. You put yourself under a law that you made mm -hmm. or that you accepted that, that some, some other man made. Some other man made. Mm -hmm. And then you accept that law and then live under the weight of its curse and condemnation. Right. In the Old Covenant, in Exodus 19, God has come to Moses and he is very gracious. And he says, this is the revelation of who I am. I am the God who loves you and I want you to be my treasured possession. And if you'll obey me, if you will keep my commandments, then you'll be my treasured people amongst all the people of the earth. And, and the people say, okay, we'll do so. That covenant that God came to them, we call the Old Covenant, you may call it the Mosaic Covenant, or the Covenant of Works, Covenant mm -hmm. of Law. It wasn't, a, it wasn't it was a bad thing. It was God's gift because He was saying, I want to show you my heart, I want to show you who I am, mm -hmm. I want to show you how to live. But nobody could keep it. Right. So right. that was what the bad news is. Mm -hmm. That even, I mean, the people of Israel, after a, a long weekend of being a little tired in the desert, they start moaning and groaning, don't That's they? Right. They can't oh, even keep lot. it. They can't keep, can't keep the law for three days. <laughs> And so what happened was throughout all of the Old Covenant time, it was being revealed there must be a Savior. There must be a redemptive plan because the people cannot keep up their side of the covenant. Right, right. When Christ came and He inaugurated this new covenant, He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. My blood that's spilled for you. When He inaugurated this covenant, what was so new about it? Because see, I think a lot of even Christians, they think, well, I'm in the New Covenant, but they really almost live like it's still the Old Covenant. Yeah. It's just like a modified Old Covenant. It's still, it's all about me trying to keep the rules. What was different was this. Jesus was the covenant partner who kept the law that we couldn't keep. A covenant between a father and a son. And so Christ kept the covenant. And when you accept Christ, you are in Christ which means that you've been taken into the benefits of the New Covenant. What's so different about the New Covenant isn't just that, oh, the New Covenant is about the grace, the Old Covenant about, about law. This is a covenant that in some sense has taken you out of the picture. You are the one who right. are grafted into Christ and receive what you could have never earned. Mm -hmm. And this is the only covenant. And the writer of Hebrews mm -hmm. says that exactly. not only is it a better covenant, but it makes the old covenant obsolete, and therefore there is no need for any other covenant 
period. That's right. So this is the covenant. One covenant. One covenant. That's it. And That's it. and we don't and, and and I say that because often there will be a, a woman who wants to leave polygamy. And in fact, I have a niece who was thinking about one time doing so, but her husband told her, "You made too many covenants before God when when we were married, and it put the guilt trip on her, and she wouldn't leave." I would like polygamous women to know that, or men, if they want to leave their covenants that they made in a polygamous marriage, they're not valid before God anyway. No, not. God didn't give you these covenants right, to make. Right. He didn't give you these covenants. They're no, you're no more bound to that than Jephthah was bound to go and sacrifice his own daughter. The covenant that you made under false pretenses is not a binding covenant. And I always put it this way. If I set up uh, ungodly oaths in my own life, I was the one who made it up. I'm the one who can say, no, that doesn't exist anymore. There's mm -hmm. one covenant, one. and it's in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, it's being God and Jesus, and God and Jesus being our advocate, yes. our representative. All we have to be is in Christ, and we're in the covenant. We're in it automatically. We're in it, and we're covered. Is, by we're all. covenant. We're saved, adopted, and made heirs by His grace through faith alone, and nothing else. That's the gospel. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the way you express it, too. We've, we've got only a little over a minute left. Um, I want to ask you this question. Recently on Facebook, someone asked this question. Um, what are the first three words that come to mind when you hear the word God? An ex-polygamist answered it this way. Hateful, vengeful, bigoted. Unfortunately, before I became a Christian, I would have answered it exactly the same oh. way. Wow. There are people who are watching the show who also came from polygamy who probably would answer it the same way. What would you say in a minute uh, to the person who thinks like that? Well, the Bible tells us God is love. And we know that the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. When I think of God, I think of His love, His sacrifice, and therefore His acceptance. His acceptance. And you know what I never heard when I was growing up is God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. All the time God is good. And I never did hear that. And I just want people to hear on, on this show, we talk about God a lot. People hear the word God and they'll run uh, when they're from a polygamy environment. Yeah. but. God is good, and, good. and He's not the celestial policeman. He's not hateful and bigoted. He just, he just loves. He loves. He loves with a, a perfect love that never, ever ends. Mm -hmm. That's true. Well, uh, Pastor Alan Wright, I thank you for being our thank guest you, again. It's been such a pleasure, and you have such a beautiful way of, of, of explaining the, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ you, and how much God loves us. And I just pray that the rest of your, your trip here will be Thank productive. you so much. Thank you very much. You know, when the Bible tells us that we have freedom in Christ, that's exactly what it means. We aren't bound by obeying religious laws and rituals in order to earn righteousness, and you should have gotten that out of our conversation. We can never do enough things that would wipe out the wrong things we've done. And God does not judge us based on whether our good works outnumber our sins, nor does God judge us by comparing us with the goodness or the badness of someone else. We are free in Christ because He has set us free to love and to serve Him. His love for each and every human was demonstrated on the cross, which shows us God's hatred of sin 
but also his love for the sinners. You know, the polygamy and the marriage and covenants and religious works, none of these things impress God at all. What he wants for us is to believe him and trust him and love him. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.